So, if you would, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 43 with a passage that I'm going to, um, I'm just going to let you know right right off the bat, this is a hard passage to understand. Did I say 42? 43. Chapter 12, verse 43. Um, this is a passage that deals a little bit with the topic of demonology. Uh, of course, demon, unclean spirits, that sort of thing, ology, the study of. Uh, and this is a field of study that doesn't have a lot of solid, clear-cut, easy-to-understand teaching in either the Old or the New Testament. There's pieces. There's stuff. But there's not like a very clear doctrine. Um, I will, uh, (laughs) as I was preparing for this message this morning, um, I was reading through one of my favorite commentaries on the book of Matthew, and uh, I have to admit that I was very happy to see that one of my favorite preachers also struggles with the meaning of this passage, because there's a lot of bad ways to handle this particular passage in Scripture. Um, One of the downsides of preaching the way I do, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is I don't get to skip. (laughs) I don't get to to jump over those passages that are hard to deal with, hard to interpret, hard to understand, or just uncomfortable, I have to. And if I'm going to be faithful to preaching this way, I have to deal with passages like this one. Um, So we can't skip it, so here we go. Uh, This is actually going to conclude chapter 12 for us, uh, starting with verse 43, going through the end of the chapter. If you have a study Bible... So if your Bible has the word study Bible anywhere in the title, you probably have little headings in between the paragraphs. I've mentioned them before, right? Um, Number one, those are not inspired. Those are study tools to help us out so that as we study Scripture, if we're trying to study a particular theme or a particular uh, character or something like that, we can use those titles to help us narrow down where we're at. But you probably have one of those titles in between verse 45 and verse 46. That's like a natural paragraph division. Um, I don't know that I'd agree entirely with separating these two paragraphs in Scripture. Of course, the scholars who do the translations and the editing to put those little headings and stuff in have a whole lot more experience than me. Uh, But I'm going to cover all of this as one continuous message, because I think that's the way it was presented when Jesus was speaking. So with all of that being said, let's all stand for God's Word this morning. Starting in Matthew 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. 
While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, as we do approach this somewhat difficult passage to to wrap our heads around, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would be earnest in our desire to understand the principles contained in the Scripture, and, uh, Father, that we would apply it correctly to our lives. Uh, Help us to see your word as you mean it to be, not as we bring our own baggage uh, to it. Help us to be faithful students. In Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and have a seat. The first thing I want to say here, uh, based on the form of verses 43 through 45, uh, I'm going to approach this particular passage a lot like I would approach a parable. Okay? Uh, there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, it's not that Jesus said it was a parable, and it's not that it necessarily is supposed to be a parable, but I'm going to approach it as a parable because I don't think, based on the way this reads, based on the way Jesus teaches, I don't think Jesus is giving us an actual description for fact of what happens with a demonic possession. I don't think that's what he's doing here because it just doesn't really read that way. Rather, this whole passage speaks more about what happens in the life of a person without God in their life, without God's influence, without the Holy Spirit. So to jump in here, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out. Now, if we look at context, what has Jesus been doing? Casting out unclean spirits, right? Um, So he says, when the spirit leaves, whether by somebody casting it out by exorcism or of its own volition. There is absolutely nothing in Scripture anywhere that tells us that demons can't leave of their own accord. Right? So it is possible that Jesus is saying that a person who, who may be inflicted with the oppression of an unclean spirit, for whatever reason, that spirit takes a vacation, for lack of a better term. There is... The next statement, that it goes through waterless places seeking rest, but doesn't find any. There is a correlation between desert places and the world of the demonic. Uh, If you think about Israel, Israel's history, the desert was seen as a place that missed God's blessing. A desert is hot, a desert is dry, a desert is not exactly a place where you would want to hang out. Having been to the desert twice, I can attest to this. It is not a vacation spot. I do not ever, ever, ever desire to jump on an airplane and go back to Al-Kharj, Saudi Arabia. It is hot, it is dry, and nothing lives there except snakes and scorpions. Period. And big spiders. And, and big spiders. <laughs> big spiders. 
when you think about how this represents the lack of God's blessing, think about the Garden of Eden, a place that was full of God's blessing, right? It was lush, it was green, there was vegetation, the breeze blew cool in the afternoon. It was a place of paradise. To contrast that, you can't get much more diametrically opposed than the desert. There's no food, there's no vegetation, there's no life, there's no water, and it's not cool, it's, it's miserable. So that would fit a place that something like an evil spirit, a demon, would find. Because that is a spirit, not to be confused with a ghost, okay? That's, that's, not, that's not how this works. But where an evil spirit, a fallen angel, a demonic entity would be found, is a place that lacks God's blessing. So, the Spirit goes seeking rest, but doesn't find any. Rest is another one of those things that is commonly tied to God's blessing in Scripture. Jesus says, Come to me, those who labor and are... are, uh, uh, Thank you, that was the phrase. It just would not percolate to the... Yeah, heavy laden, right? And I will give you what? Rest. Rest. The New Testament is full of indications that our Sabbath rest is found in Christ. Rest is one of God's blessings. So it would be natural that the demon does not find rest. Now, lots of stuff going on here. Jesus said when the Spirit has gone out of a person, we don't know why. Uh, it, it is possible that it was by exorcism, exorcism, um, probably by one of the Jewish exorcists, not necessarily by Jesus, because I really like to think that if Jesus cast a demon out, it's probably not coming back. Uh, but that's not a guarantee. Because, you know, I did a little bit of searching through all the cases where Jesus cast a demon out of somebody, and, you know, the one thing that's lacking is affirmation that that person then went on to become a follower. doesn't say that. We can, we, we can assume it, but I don't know that that's a safe assumption. Right? How many people have experienced God's healing and not become believers? A lot. Right? So, uh, whatever the case is, the demon goes through the desert place. It doesn't find the rest that it's looking for. It doesn't find the refreshment. It doesn't find whatever... Whatever the, the, the demon's idea of a vacation is, because that's the way this reads. And so it decides, I'm going to go back to my house. Which is the person that it left in the first place. That shows the idea of possession. Right? And when it returns to its house... <laughs> um. It finds the house empty, swept clean. Cobwebs are taken care of. Curtains have been washed and hung back up. Everything's in order. You don't have a pile of bills on the table waiting for it, right? This is a picture of an empty house. No signs of life, no signs of residence, no signs of anything going on. Now, It is entirely possible, this is where I get to a parable idea here, 
that what Jesus is really talking about is the influence of that spirit. We generally understand that, that evil spirits come with certain behaviors that they inflict on people. If you think about the, the demon-possessed man in the graveyard, he was unruly, he couldn't be held down by chains, he would howl in, at night and, and hang out with the dead people, and there was all kinds of behavior associated with that. The person that Jesus just healed, the demon had made him blind and mute. He was unable to speak. We often think about our own personal demons, right? That's, that's kind of a vernacular expression, our own personal demons. Somebody who struggles with an addiction to something or somebody who struggles with a certain behavior, that is their own personal demon. So we think about behaviors in this way. And it's possible that if this demon that Jesus is talking about left, whether it be by uh, exorcism, exorcism, that's a hard word to say this morning. I got a couple too many H's in my mouth, I guess. Or if it leaves of its own accord, it takes with it the behaviors that were part of its influence. But when it comes back, even though the house has been cleaned up, who cleaned it? The person, the individual, the person that was being afflicted, right? That's the picture that Jesus paints because the house is empty. And so, since the house is empty, the demon doesn't just go back in. I mean, come on, I just came from an empty land. I just came from a wasteland. There's no water, there's no rest, there's nothing going on. This isn't a very good place for a vacation. So, the demon comes back to the house and it's empty. What's it going to do? Yep, it's going to go out and invite seven of its worst friends and throw a party. What winds up happening is that the individual ends in a worse state than when they started. Now, if I can be so bold as to be a little creative with this to illustrate the point, imagine the first demon was a demon that, that inflicted the person with a spirit of laziness. Okay? And I'm not talking just occasionally putting your feet up on the couch and taking a nap. I'm talking that chronic laziness that does nothing. Right? The person who does nothing. You see the TV shows, Hoarders, and, you know, they can't walk through the house because there's everything everywhere because they don't clean. They don't, it's just laziness. And then the demon leaves. When that spirit leaves, how does the person respond? They may suddenly find a, a, a burst of energy, right? That, that laziness could be tied to a depression. It could be tied to... And, and all of a sudden, the cloud is lifted, so the person cleans up their house, literally. And they, they start getting more energetic. Maybe they get a job, and they start working, and they start doing things. They're ready to take on the world. And then, for whatever reason, this spirit comes back with its seven buddies. Now you're not just dealing with laziness, but you've got gluttony and lust and covetousness and intemperance and wrath and, and whatever these demons bring with it. See, the, the hazard here that Jesus is talking about is the hazard of cleaning up your life in your own strength and your own power. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, you know, I'd really like to start coming to church, but I need to clean my life up first. 
Okay? Raise your hand if you've ever mopped a floor. Okay? You ever mopped a floor? Okay. You use uh, dirty toilet water to do that? No, that'd be nasty, right? Why don't we use dirty toilet water to mop a floor? Because it's dirty. Okay? When we clean that house in our own strength, when, when the evil spirit leaves and it comes back to find an empty house, it's a house that's been cleaned with dirty water. It's a house that's been cleaned and left vacant. There's, it's all in our own strength. There's no profit in it. There's no value in it. There's no protection in it. We can't clean our life in our own strength and power. It doesn't work. There's no way for an unsaved person to protect themselves against this kind of an attack. And it doesn't have to be. Look, I need you to understand this very closely. I do believe that demons are real. Okay? I'm going to tell you right up front that I don't see a whole lot of demonic activity happening for most people who are not saved. Because they're already in Satan's pocket. My flesh did not need any demonic help to struggle against lust or greed or laziness or gluttony. I didn't need Satan to tell me, you really want another helping of that spaghetti. I didn't need that. Because my flesh said, you really want another helping of that spaghetti. Right? That's not to say that it doesn't happen. Because I believe it does. Scripture tells us it does. I also don't think that a saved person can be possessed. Now we can be afflicted. I also think we have to be very careful that we don't blame every affliction on demonic activity because a lot of it comes from right here. Okay, And I'm not saying my, your problems are my fault. I'm saying my problems are my fault. All right? My flesh causes me still to say, you really want another helping of that spaghetti. Last night it was cannoli. Last night, even though I ate myself stupid on a plate of spaghetti, when the waitress came back and said, is everybody ready for dessert? My flesh said cannoli. And then when I got in the truck on the way home, my flesh said sleep. Because I was in a sugar coma. I didn't, need, I didn't need demonic influence to do that. It was natural. What's natural is not necessarily good. I heard somebody say once, cyanide is natural. <laughs> it's a naturally occurring, occurring chemical. That doesn't mean it's good for you, right? So the idea here is that we cannot clean ourselves up. We cannot escape when these influences, when these, whether they be demonic or whether they just be fleshly, when they happen to us, we can't prevent it on our own. I can, I can try really hard. How, how many of you have ever struggled with a real addiction? Excuse me, addiction. Whether it be to a chemical or a substance or, or whatever. Right? A real, honest-to-goodness, serious addiction. How many times have you put your foot down and said, that's it, I'm done, I'm stopping? And how many times does that succeed? It doesn't. It'll succeed for a little while. It'll succeed for a small time. 
And then generally what winds up happening, and I'll talk about the binge dieter here, okay, because I've, I've done that. I've done that whole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good, I'm going to do the, the slim fast shakes, and I'm going to do the, the vitamins and the weight loss supplements, and I'm going to exercise, and I'm going to do all this sort of stuff, and it works for this much time until it doesn't. And then what normally winds up happening? You put on more weight than you lost in the first place. It's called a yo-yo diet. It really is. This is what Jesus is talking about. Not dieting, but that kind of impact on your life. And then, in talking to the Pharisees, look at what he says there in verse 45. This is how it is with this evil generation. In other words, the Jews, the people of Israel were all about cleaning up their life. We're all about sweeping out the house and getting all the evil stuff out and cleaning it all up and everything. And then as they turned around, all of that evil comes back in and brings friends. This is how it is with that evil generation. Now, we had this discussion in Sunday school this morning. We need to be cautious when we read stuff like this. Because when we read stuff like this, we can point and we can say, those stupid Jews, how could they be so foolish? And the church is full of it. The church is full of people who come to church and do the stuff because it's the stuff, not because they have a relationship with Christ. They're cleaning themselves up. They're trying their hardest to do their best in their own power. especially in the United States, especially in the Bible Belt of conservative Christianity, people who hold on to salvation or a supposed salvation by the strength of their own will are going to fail. The person who sweeps and cleans his house up and leaves it empty for the demon to attack. Now, Here's where I disagree with the people who put the next title in the paragraph marker there, okay? <laughs> because I think this next paragraph is tied directly to that last thought. Because if I can't sweep my house clean and keep it safe, then how do we prevent this attack? As Jesus is talking fortuitously, by blind luck, no, by God's sovereignty, Mary and Jesus' brothers show up outside the house where he's having this discussion with the Pharisees. Now, I will tell you right now that uh, this particular passage causes a problem for anybody who claims that Mary remained a virgin after Jesus' birth. There's a problem there. Because Mary and Jesus' brothers, that would be children that Mary had, right? Now, those who do believe that way, that, that Mary did not have any more children, will tell you that that word brothers could mean extended family members. And it could, but that's not the context. That's not the picture here. And that's not how that word is used in Scripture. When it says brothers, it means brothers. 
Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, there are a couple of times where the phrase that Jesus uses kind of makes us step back and say, wait, 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 whoa, hang on. That sounds kind of rude. For example, when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down at Mary, right? What does he say? Woman, here is your son. Okay? Now, I can tell you a pretty safe bet, and, and they're sitting right here so they can agree with me or disagree with me. All right? Even though there wasn't a whole lot of corporal punishment growing up, even though it was two separate households, I'm relatively certain that if either of you heard me refer to mom as woman, I would not be standing here today. Maybe. <laughs> right. That sounds weird to us because we don't, we, we don't use terms of address towards our mother like that, especially down here in the South or in rural America, which would fit better in the South than some parts of the South does. But the word in the Greek that it's translated as woman could be ma'am. Well, that fits a whole lot better, doesn't it? Right? And when Jesus shows up at the wedding feast of Cana, and Mary comes to him and says, Jesus, I'm glad you're here. They ran out of wine. What does Jesus respond? Woman, what do you want me to do about it? What does that have to do with me? Okay, that's another one of those. Now, now, granted, by this point, Jesus is probably 30 years old. Okay, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I would still be very uncomfortable looking at my mother. What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Fix it, you dummy. That's what I want you to do about it. See, there are statements like that that, that sound uncomfortable in our English-speaking society ears. But his phrase really was, how is this my problem? Period. There's no disrespect. Because disrespect would be a violation of the commandment to honor your mother and your father. So when Jesus makes a statement here, who is my mother and who are my brothers, he's not suddenly suffering from amnesia, saying, I don't have a mother and brothers. I don't have anything to do with them. That's not what he's saying. When we respond to that kind of visceral, emotional, well, that was rude. When we, when we respond that way is that we miss what he says after that that speaks to our adoption into the family of God. He points at his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, Just because it points at the disciples doesn't mean it's just the 12 guys that we know about. There were female disciples too. Because if it was Peter and he pointed at Peter and said, here's my mother and my brothers, I could, I could just see Peter say, hey, wait a minute. But he clarifies this by saying, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
Family is not what saves us. Empty religious activity is not what saves us. Pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps is not what saves us. That may be the American way, but that's not Christianity. Jesus is not disowning Mary and his brothers. But he's making a distinction between those who belong to God and those who don't. There is but one person who can clean up the house and not leave it empty. And that's God. That's why he sends us the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. It's so that our house isn't empty. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came to enable somebody to do something for God. There was no guarantee in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit was going to indwell a person forever. None. That doesn't happen until the New Testament. We can't say that family heritage is what saves us. It's not what brings us into a relationship with God. But we can say that God will call and save whom he will call and save. It's up to God, not up to us. Cleaning out that house is up to God, not up to us. Fill in that house. Fill in our heart. Fill in our life. is up to God, not us. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The only thing we bring to our salvation is a need. Period. Nothing that I do, no aspect of who I am, contributes anything to God's work. Even after I'm saved. That's a hard thing for us to handle. In order for us to not leave the house empty, we must be part of God's family. Doing His will. What does that mean? How does that look? Well, Jesus told the disciples that God's will for their lives is their righteousness. We have to live a life of righteousness. But we have to trust God to give us the strength to do that. We can't do it on our own power, right? A picture of that, Jesus said, is our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were righteous after a fashion. They did the little stuff, but they missed the big stuff. How many of us can say we even do the little stuff? And if we do, how many of us can say that we do the little stuff for the right reason? God told the church through Jesus that we have a mission to go and make disciples.
Paul talked about what that looks like. Investing in people's lives. Loving people. John told us that we need to be in a pattern of confession and repentance. Confessing our sins to God. Not because, look, pay close attention here. When I confess a sin to God, he does not say, well, I missed that one. He knows already. So when we confess, who is it for? It's for us. It's for us to drag whatever that sin was out into the light. That's what John says, right? When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And then he talks about us walking in the light as he is in the light and having fellowship with one another. Yes? All right? 1 John, believe it's in chapter 1. Okay? So... What does he mean by having uh, walking in the light with one another? Is he talking about walking in the light with one another like this? No. The subject, the subject of all of this has been God's part, right? So when we drag those things out into the light and we confess those things, we're confessing them to him so that we can walk in the light with him. That's what doing the will of the Father looks like. Not hiding stuff in the shadows. John tells us that if we say we don't have any sin, we're full of it. That's my paraphrase. We're full of sin. And we don't have fellowship with God. So we can't say that we didn't sin. We have to confess it. We have to repent. And we have to walk in the light. But we can't do it in our own strength. Can't do it in our own power.